Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. I'm here with Josh Bice. Uh, man, we're ex- excited about this conversation that we're about to have. Uh, the reason for it is just the, the nature uh, of the subject matter. It's, it's one of those things that in the current day in which we live, um, the only heresy is that there is heresy, right? <laughs> yeah. The only, the only, the only bad thing that, to say is that there, there, there are there are bad guys out there with with false doctrine, false teaching is is still there and present and available uh, for consumption by the masses. Unfortunately, uh, w- there's an important need to differentiate, uh, and we've done so on this podcast previously to differentiate error from heresy, uh, and then to really identify what is heresy. Uh, we've talked about those matters today. However, a little bit of a different conversation. Uh, we're going to kind of back up and 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 do a, a deeper dive in some respects uh, about uh, the issue of Catholicism, mm-hmm. uh, the issue of justification, the doctrines of hell. We're going to talk about all of that on this edition of the G Three Podcast. Before we get started, I always want to invite you to the 2023 G3 National Conference. Uh, It is going to be amazing. I know you hear that from me every time. I cannot say that enough. Um, And the reason is, I just don't want you to miss it. Uh, It's a biennial conference. It's every two years. Uh, This will be one, again, you don't want to miss. On the website, I think currently it it says 20 speakers, uh, musicians, and the like. We have probably closer to 30 speakers uh, with musicians and just a ton of different things that that are going to be available to you. We've got a pre conference uh, that we've that we've got an, an announcement out on uh, get on the website go there quickly uh, check that out get uh, plugged in as of right now we're hovering right around about 6,000 um, uh, people that are registered and attending and, and the reason why I, I throw that number out it's because we are still six months out from our conference and we are really bumping up against in, in the next maybe two or three thousand uh, registrations. We're bumping, bumping up against having a full house. Yeah. Um, and what people have done in the past is they said, well, you know, I'll wait maybe three months out, maybe two months out, eh, maybe a month out. I'll get registered. Maybe five days out. Maybe. <laughs> that was me. right? <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not calling any names. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That was me back in the day. Don't be me, right? Be better than me. Get in, get registered, and uh, and definitely take part in, in what's going to be an amazing, absolutely amazing conference. Go to g3men.org, uh, get registered September 21st through the 23rd here in Atlanta. You do not want to miss it. With that said, Josh, let's uh, let's tee this thing up, man, as, as you kind of walk us through the, the subject we're going to cover. Yeah, so one of the things that we often talk about in G3 Ministries, one of the things I love about, you know, coming into the office and working with you guys, you and Scott and the rest of the team, is that, you know, we have a heart for the local church. We have a heart for seeing the church be healthy and strong. We have a desire to see individual Christians be faithful and and biblical in their in their individual approach to scripture and how they approach life. So this is critically important. Yes, absolutely. And as we think about, you know, that commitment of G3 ministries to educate, to encourage, and to equip in sound biblical theology. Mm-hmm. One of the things that concerns me today is I listen to people talk, and I know you hear people having these similar conversations. We see it on social media. Yep. You can follow the hashtags. You can see it. But personalities, mm-hmm. um, we see it on social media in various circles. Um, we see it with celebrities. Right. Uh, people use uh, this language where they w- want to really 
apply like a denominational approach to Roman Catholicism. Right, right. And so they'll say, well, you know, uh, a Baptist and Presbyterian and then a Roman Catholic. Right. And so really there's been a push for a long time to really create this this atmosphere, if you will, within evangelicalism that says, well, Christians are Christians, and that means that Baptists are Christians right. and Presbyterians are Christians right. and Roman Catholics are Christians. Right, right. And we need to know what the difference is. Mm-hmm. So we hear the language of Catholic. And if you're a student of you know theology, if you're a student of church history, you might be familiar with you know, the creeds yep. of church history. Right, right. So we have like the the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. and it uses that language of Catholic right, church. Right. And then we have the Nicene Creed, creed yep. and it uses the language of, of Catholic church. Well, there's a difference between, you know, little C Catholic right. and capital C Catholic. There's a difference between what we mean when we say the Holy Catholic Church. Right. I'm a part of the Holy Catholic Church. Right, right. But I'm not Roman Catholic. Right. And so we need to know the difference between the two. And so Catholic means the universal church, mm-hmm. but Roman Catholicism is something different. Right. And so in this conversation today, I think it's critically important for us to address some of the heretical positions of the Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. to say, this is why we as Protestants, by the way, Protestant means what? Protestant. We're, we're, we're protesting yes, something, Yes, right? absolutely. So this is why we are protesting the Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. to this very day right. and continue to say we're drawing a line in the sand and that Roman Catholics are not Christians, because this really does matter. We're going to talk today about some of the heretical positions as well as some of the latest problems that Mm. have surfaced because the Pope has apparently denied the existence of hell. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to that. I, I remember kind of understanding at, at very early on the difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the and the Universal Church, the the, the small C Catholic Church, right. uh, by listening to Dr. R. C. Sproul. Mm. Uh, I think I came into Reformed theology, uh, you know, reading his book, What is Reformed Theology? Uh, and as in that book, as he's explaining not only not only the doctrines of grace, but he's also explaining uh, the solas of the Reformation. Uh, he unpacks the differences between the, the small C, large C, Roman Catholic Church, small C, universal church. Uh, those distinctions were really helpful for me to, to separate those ideas and have a clear distinction for differences. Again, we constantly are talking about on this podcast has important categories for us to have so that we can rightly divide the word of God, the, the word of truth, uh, rightly understand systematic theology, historic theology, and the like. All these kinds of issues are critically important for the life of the believer. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we start having this conversation about what it means to be a Christian and the fact that we're saying uh, if you're a Roman Catholic, you're not a Christian— right. Um, what we would say is that if you believe what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, right. you can't be a Christian. Right. 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 But we're not saying that anyone who, you know, has grown up in a Roman Catholic setting might have heard the Word of God uh, read, mm-hmm. and by the power of the gospel and the, the application of the Spirit of God, you know, the Word of God in the heart of the individual right. being brought to faith mm-hmm. in Christ mm-hmm. might actually be a legitimate Christian right. uh, in a Roman Catholic setting. Right. Uh, we're not at all suggesting that that's not possible. Correct. But what we are saying is that if you are a Roman Catholic 
and you believe what the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and you embrace the teachings that were handed down at the Council of Trent in mm-hmm. the 1500s, mm-hmm. then there's no possible way that you can be a Christian. No, absolutely. There's a, that, that, the Council of Trent is definitely a, a line in the sand, a division point that says, you know, this is who we are, this is what you are uh, as Protestants, and, and you know, neither, neither of the two shall meet. Yeah. Uh, the other piece of, of that, that that I think is interesting is, is and, and again, we can talk about this from, from circles that I come from, and, and Pentecostalism, more times than not, when you if someone is in the Roman Catholic Church, they're Christian in spite of what Rome teaches, not because of yeah. what Rome teaches. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, as you see people that become aware of mm-hmm. what the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches, mm-hmm. and they read the catechism, and they read the doctrinal statement, then they say, you know what, I'm not that, right. and so I need to go join a true church. Right. And so then they leave Rome behind and they then become, you know, a member of a local church within yeah. evangelicalism. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm smiling as I think about that because I had an experience very similar. Uh, I was at a Southern Baptist Church there in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and there was a gentleman that was kind, kind of discipling me at the time. We were, I, I always look for older men to disciple younger men. I felt I was a younger man at the time. And so, I imagine that's kind of biblical. It's kind isn't of it? biblical. Yeah. There's, some, there's, some, there's some basis for that. So, uh, man, he was, he was kind of walking me through some things as I was kind of coming into an understanding of, of my faith and how to grow in it. Uh, he was the one that actually gave me gave me the book from R.C. Sproul, uh, What is Reformed Theology, and kind of walked me through that process. He was a former Catholic uh, who had come out of Roman Catholicism, had recognized he did not agree with Rome, still had family members who were a part of uh, of, of you know the R- Roman Catholic tradition, and, and uh, he would share the gospel with them constantly, engage them, and uh, talk about that. But he had he had clear lines, clear distinctions, uh, and and eventually walked away from Roman mm. Catholicism. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's important to to hear testimonies like that mm-hmm. because we uh, obviously have conversations with people often and. And, you know, we, we filled emails that are sent to us and uh, about these very issues. And so we need to have this conversation today. I think it's important when we go back and we look historically at the Protestant Reformation, we see, you know, again, a lot of historians want to put the marker there at October 31st, 1517, where you have an Augustinian monk who's there teaching theology in the city of Wittenberg, Germany, and he walks down the, the the cobblestone road. He comes to the castle church door there in Wittenberg. He nails a document to the castle church door and basically walks away. And then the rest is history. Right. You know, you have students of Luther that take that document that we know is the 95 Theses, and it was really uh, calling into question the sale of indulgences. Right, right. Like, is it possible that you can give money to the Roman Catholic Church and then you can have family members or yourself released from purgatory right. sooner? Right. Okay. And so it's the it's the sale of salvation or the mm-hmm. sale of purification, right. if you understand what they mean by by purgatory. And uh, so you have the students of Luther who take that document, and just a few years before, by God's providence, right. the Gutenberg printing press, press yeah, yeah. had been you know, invented yep, yep, and yep. put into motion. Yep. They take the document, they have it uh, put into typeset ready for print. It's then 
printed, published, and then sent out far and wide. And people start reading this 95 Theses, and they're just astounded with what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, we have to understand some things there. Again, Luther did not have social media. He didn't have like 4 million followers on Twitter or anything like that. So he's doing what was called social media of his day in Wittenberg. He goes down, he he nails a document to the, the church door, which would have been a common thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would do that to, to spark a conversation right. of debate. Right. But something interesting happens between 1517 and 1521 mm-hmm. because it was during that time period that Luther was reading Romans 117 right. and basically came to the conviction that he was unconverted and saw for the first time what God was intending by Romans one seventeen regarding the righteousness of God, which before he had hated that doctrine mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. felt that it was, he, f- he felt that it was a standard that he could never meet up to right. in his flesh. And, and he was right, and he was right. Yeah. But what it was was at that point when he's reading Romans one seventeen, he sees that this is actually the righteousness of God, an alien righteousness that is not worked up by his flesh. Right but is given to him right. by imputation received right. by faith right. in the finished work of Christ. Right. He's receiving Christ's righteousness. Yes. He's not having to work and to please God in the flesh. Right. And, and that's when he was born again. Right. And from that time forward, what you see is that Luther is now, instead of looking at the problems of the Roman Catholic Church and the sale of indulgences mm-hmm. and seeing this as sort of a debate that's internal, and that needs to, you know, work its way out internally. He now sees himself as an external Christian, someone who's outside of the Roman Catholic Church, who's protesting against Rome. And he's called onto the carpet at the city of Worms in 1521. He's called to give an account for his preaching and his teaching and his writing. And he makes a bold declaration at that moment. He he stands firm. He refuses to recant, and then he's immediately taken away by friends as he's as he leaves Worms and he's kidnapped and he finds himself uh, at the Wartburg Castle where he uh, he basically spends some time there, and he gives himself to the translation of the Bible into the German language. That's when we start to see the explosion of what we call the Protestant Reformation when it was the reformers specifically there with with you know within Germany you have. Luther bringing the Bible to the common man. Right. And then when that happened, the worship of the church changed dramatically. Instead of being, you know, this thing that's being performed by the priest in the sight of the people in a tongue that they did not understand in Latin. Mm-hmm. Now they're hearing someone preach in their own language and there's there's real worship that's starting to happen. Now yeah. there's a response of congregational singing, mm-hmm. the singing of the Psalms. I mean, all this starts happening because the Bible was brought to the people. Yeah. But I say all of that to say that Rome was not one bit happy with all of this. No, they were not. In fact, the Pope at that time accused Luther as being uh, a wild boar that was loose in God's vineyard. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, he, he was opposed greatly. Yeah. But you would have at the Council of Trent, you would have uh, just a few years after that, mm-hmm. you would have a response to the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. a response 
you might say, a protest of the protest. Right. So the Roman Catholics are now saying, this is where we stand on these issues. Mm-hmm. And the Council of Trent provided uh, key doctrinal statements on various different uh, key positions yeah. and, and theological statements. But the one main thing that they were centering their positions on was their position on justification. Right, right. And justification under that umbrella in the Council of Trent, if you just read the language, what you see is that there's about 33... Uh, canons, statements that all end with the word anathema. And I think that this is critically important as we've made the statement at the front side of this conversation today, Virgil, that if you really believe what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that you're not a Christian, this is where we come to that point. This was was not the determination of of, of Luther or others. This is the Roman Catholic Church really clarifying. Absolutely. This is what we believe. That's right. Here is where we stand. And so that that piece is important. I want to go back to something else uh, that you mentioned about Luther. Again, you know, I did not have the benefit of, of, of going to seminary early. I did I did so as an adult later on. Would learn about uh, th- these men that you talk about, Luther, Calvin, and others. It was it was something that I would learn about later on. Early early on for me, however, it was you know I, I was trying to find everything that I could online. So I, I ran across the movie, the 2003 version of the movie Luther, Martin Luther, and that was incredibly helpful for me to put names and places and spaces all into motion so that when I did eventually land, you know, land at seminary, uh, I had a framework uh, to understand who these people were and what roles they played and and how all of these things came together. I think it's incredibly important and beneficial uh, for churches to to kind of acknowledge, especially during October 31st. I know a lot of folks have like, you know, they they do trunk or treats or things like that. Uh, But man, having having something where there's a focus on Reformation Day is incredibly important for kids to understand where it is we've come from, what it is we stand for, what we believe, and uh, and, and, what, and and where others stand as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really important, as you mentioned, to to know where you are in history, mm-hmm. to be able to know, you know about those who have gone before us, absolutely. who have sacrificed, who have made very important stands. Absolutely. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's a good thing for the church to do that Absolutely. as well, and to yeah. educate the younger generation as well. Or, or old guys like me yeah. who need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yep, yep. So, so what you have is this protest of the protest. Mm-hmm. You have the Roman Catholic Church, and they say, this is where we stand. In fact, what you said a moment ago is critically important. It's not as if they're changing their doctrinal statement. Right. They're clarifying. Absolutely. This is what we believe. Yes. This is what we believe about us. And this is what we believe about you. Yes. And again, uh, today you have all sorts of problems. As we're going to talk about in a few minutes, you know, you have Pope Francis. Pope Francis is is a mess on so many levels. Um, he is a, a leftist pope. Mm-hmm. He is progressive by by political and you know uh, even even theological yeah, positions. Yeah, yeah. He's he's to the left yeah. of the Roman Catholic Church. He is he has never really been seen as a conservative pope. You you, you could say he's woke, uh, and so as you look at you know his positions and the ideologies that he embraces, um, so we're going to be able to talk about you know again some of the problems there, but the the Roman Catholic Church as a whole holds to very problematic positions, and when we think about these positions, and we're seeing okay historically. The Roman Catholic Church 
uh, believed this, and this is what they were saying. When we when we talk about these words, we need to know what these words mean. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when they say, "If you believe this, then you're anathema." Right. What does that mean? Because the the modern day sort of shallow Roman Catholic might say something like, "Well, that doesn't really mean right. that you're damned to hell. Right. It just means it means that you're not a Roman Catholic." And so. Uh, how do we how do we think about that yeah. in terms of the language of being anathematized? Yeah, that's I mean that's if if we go back to biblical language, that's that's damnation. Yeah, you know that's that's Paul Paul is is, is saying that if you, if there if you accept any any other gospel than that which we've preached to you, you are anathema. You are damned, right? Because you're you're dead in your sins. Yeah, uh, you're receiving the full wrath of God. Do you for your sins against the holy God? Right, and so. For some, you know, modern day Roman Catholic to try to redefine what that means and to walk away, sort of walk that back right. and to say, well, we don't really think that. We just think that that's just like being excommunicated from the church. Yeah, that, that's not being, one, it's not being honest. And two, if they really understand Roman Catholic doctrine, they recognize that salvation and, and their model actually comes through the church. That's right. That's right. Because all through the Roman Catholic catechism, their doctrine is centered on the church, right. the definite article, the church, the church, the church, capital C church. And it's always in all references to the Roman Catholic church. Right. So when you are put out of the Roman Catholic church, you are outside of the grace of God. Yes. And so you, there is no hope for you. Right. So yes, it is true that that Martin Luther was was anathematized. It is true that he was excommunicated, but what we must understand is that they were communicating something that is very clear mm-hmm. about Luther. Right. And they were saying that he is damned by God. Right. To be anathematized. Right. right. So I I just want to read yeah. under the heading of justification. The Council of Trent uh, again has thirty three different statements. These these canons. And one of them is canon number nine, and this is what it says, quote, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema, end quote. So, again, that statement. The Reformers were holding to these five key pillars that we know as the, the five solas, solas right? Right, right? And one of them is, is the, the sola that is known as sola fide, yeah, which is faith alone in Christ alone for the remission of sins. Right. And the Roman Catholic Church is saying, not so. Mm-hmm. If anyone claims sola fide, mm-hmm. this is what they're saying, mm-hmm. Um, if anyone's saying that they are saved by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone and that they don't have to cooperate by works mm-hmm. with Christ, right. then that person is damned. Right, right. And so that's why it is that we believe and we have to stand um, at a position where we say consistently uh, the biblical teaching on justification um, is is greatly denied and attacked by Roman Catholic theology. So you can't be a faithful Roman Catholic and hold to the Council of Trent 
and hold to the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church and be a Christian. Absolutely. You, when you when you look at what what Rome is saying, that they're basically re, kind of redefining what justification is. In fact, I, I think about this in relation to uh, the, the 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 Council at Jerusalem. Yeah. Right here we here we have in you know the, the book of Acts we're looking at at all of the, the 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 apostles are going back to Jerusalem to figure out there's something that they're trying to add to Christ alone. Uh, the one thing that they're trying to add is circumcision. Uh, that they're saying we have to be circumcised, we have to kind of follow uh, to be Christian, uh, we have to follow uh, Mosaic law, and and the, and the pushback is that that can't be right. Well, the apostles go back to Jerusalem, and and the council meets, and and they absolutely say, no, we reject that. That's not the case. <clears throat> Here, Rome <clears throat> Rome comes along, <clears throat> Rome comes along and says, yeah, we we need that and this, and the church, and baptism, and, and, and they begin to layer things that in comparison, uh, the, the, the Jewish, the, the, the council at, in Jerusalem would, would have been, been mind blown yeah. by, as it, as, uh, by, by comparison. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, you start to, to sort of pull back the veil, and you start to read uh, the, you know, the, the additional language mm-hmm. there in the Council of Trent. Right. And you see other troubling statements, like, for, for instance, if you, if you just look down and read down, you'll see that, that they actually anathematize everyone who rejects the Apocrypha. Right. And so here you have, you know, people sometimes will say, well, why does so-and-so's Bible have More a different set of books right. in the middle of right. the Old and the New Testament, right. which is, of course, the, the Apocryphal books, um, which are not canonical books. No. They're not, they're not uh, books that are on the same level as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right. and Romans. They're not uh, inspired works that God brought through individuals uh, that the Holy Spirit Himself uh, brought into into the life of the church, and then of course uh, preserved as His Word. Mm-hmm. We didn't, again, that is not the case. Right. And what we see is that the Roman Catholic Church says, if you reject these books, then you're damned by God. Right. And so we sh- again we should see that as problematic. Yeah. But as we think about just justification alone, mm-hmm. and we see the the controversy historically from the Protestant Reformation all the way to our present hour, mm-hmm. there has been an ongoing protest of the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church has not repented for the Council of Trent. Right. They have not changed their doctrinal statement. They have not updated anything. They have remained consistent. So for us to say we want to conflate Christianity and Roman Catholicism would be a massive tragedy, yeah. and that's been attempted in the past. Yeah, in, in, in a number of different ways. I mean, I, I kind of experienced it with uh, when, when I was involved in kind of abortion ministry, right? You're coming into, in, into the context where there are a lot of Catholics there, and, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring the gospel into conflict with the culture. Yeah. Uh, and, and at that very space and place, and, and, and God bless them, but you know, they, they've, they've been there even at times in greater strength and numbers than we have as Protestants. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to bring the gospel into conflict with this issue, you have to begin to see what is the gospel and make clear distinctions about that. When we're there sharing, uh, you know, that you can be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, uh, that's not the same message that they're delivering. Right. There's not forgiveness in their in, in, in their structure, in their setup. Yeah. 
uh, when they're there praying to Mary, uh, that that's absolute idolatry taking place uh, right there. And, and so we, we there's places where we, we're unable to partner because of the nature of what we're trying to, to trying to do in those instances. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and again, the distinction that we've been making from the beginning of this podcast today is that, you know, Christians aren't Catholics and Catholics aren't Christians. Right. When we talk about Roman Catholics. Right. Back in 1994, there was a movement that was started by a group of people, and it was this this thing. They were going to release this document. It was going to be called Catholics and Evangelicals, yeah, yeah. and th- this whole idea of Evangelicals and Catholics together. Cooperating. And it was this yeah, ecumenical I document. I remember that, yeah. That was going to state basically that we're together, mm-hmm. and it was going to prevent, if you will, in many ways, uh, Christians from evangelizing right. Roman Catholics right. because we were going to be seen as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And so uh, it's been, you know, a privilege to sit down with John MacArthur on several mm-hmm. occasions to have these conversations. But a couple of years ago, I sat down with him for an interview, mm-hmm. which actually can be found in the archives of this podcast. Um, it was, it was a, it was a great conversation, but in that conversation, I asked him about that document, mm-hmm. the Evangelicals and Catholics Together mm-hmm. movement. Right. And he, he gave the backstory, and it was quite, it was quite interesting. Mm. In fact, you, you have a situation where these groups are getting together to, to debate this issue. In fact, R.C. Sproul uh, and, and uh, D. James Kennedy mm-hmm. reached out to John MacArthur to see if he would come to a meeting. There was a closed-door meeting that would be uh, on this issue of evangelicals and Catholics together. And really the debate was on justification. What is the gospel and what must you believe to be a Christian? Right. And so MacArthur goes to the meeting and on the other side of the equation was Bill Bright with Campus Crusade. Mm-hmm. And then you had Charles Colson yep. and J.I. Packer. Right. Okay, so you had three over here and three over here, and they're debating this issue, and there's a couple of moderators in the meeting as well. And at one point, Dr. MacArthur said that R.C. Sproul became so exercised on this issue that he literally climbed up onto the table, pointing his finger and saying, I don't think you guys get it. Right. Uh, We're we're talking about, you know, the gospel— and and whether or not you know right. you can be saved, how you can be saved. Right. So he was he was he was very passionate right. about defending the true teachings of Scripture right. on the doctrine yeah. of justification. Yeah, that that was his "What's wrong with you people?" Absolutely. Moment. Yeah. That that was before <laughs> that he was got before there. He got that. Yeah, and and so it, it, <clears throat> Dr. MacArthur said it went seven hours. Wow. And at one point near the end of the meeting. John MacArthur looked over at J.I. Packer, and he said, basically, I have a question. I want to know, at what point do you arrive at a place where you believe enough about justification that you become a Christian? Mm. And J.I. Packer responded and said, I don't know. Wow. And so, obviously, uh, MacArthur, you know, in, in that whole position, those guys were, were defending mm-hmm. the true teachings mm-hmm. of justification. Right. And historically, Luther and Calvin and all of these reformers were defending justification. Right. The Roman Catholic Church protests 
what we believe the Bible teaches about justification. And so for us, we would say it would be a tragedy for us right. to, at this hour, right. to say that history doesn't matter, doctrine doesn't matter, justification doesn't matter. Let's just all get along. Right. Let's just kiss one another, sing kumbaya, right. and just pretend that everybody is brother and sister in Christ. Right. Right. When we when we walk away from that th- those those doctrines, we're we're actually walking away from the gospel. It, it it's one of those things where if we don't know history, we're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Right. There there was not clarity uh, uh, on on justification by grace alone through faith alone. It gets muddied by Roman Catholicism uh, and, and then and then in God's providence and and, and grace it's cl- it's clarified yeah uh, we then have it and then over the course of you know about a hundred years we get that we get the solas we get we get a clearer understanding of, of key doctrines that are tenets of the faith and and again not without pushback not without uh, without Rome trying to say hey this is what you know this is what we believe uh, but it, it's important at certain points uh, for us to, to to lay claim and I think more more so than ever, and uh, and the hour in which we live. I mean, we, we did did a podcast about kind of the kumbaya around secondary issues, yeah. right? Around around issues related to egalitarianism and the like. There's nothing more important than this issue right here. That's right. Uh, if you get if you get this doctrine wrong, if you get this doctrine incorrect, you're damned to hell. That's right. You are damned to hell for eternity. Uh, so this is a key, important uh, doctrine. It's it's important for us to to make clear where we stand and, and why we stand there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Virgil. I, I I firmly believe that's the case, and I think that we should we should not apologize right. for actually believing the Bible. <laughs> right. We should not apologize for evangelizing unbelievers. Right. We should not apologize for you know believing that that you know theology and what the bible teaches and doctrine and all of this truly does matter to us and we should we should stand firm even in this present day age we yeah. should continue to protest yeah absolutely yeah. I, man i completely agree i i love what you said I, I almost laughed because that 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 should be the nature of our, of our understanding of of the faith that we profess yeah. uh, we should understand that we're going to be persecuted. Right. We should understand that that the gospel is not something that everyone is going to love and embrace and enjoy. Uh, we should understand that, but but we don't. We've been, we, we've sat kind of in, in, in a milieu in, in American culture where, uh, you know, with the Judeo-Christian background, it's been it's been a positive thing that, that you're a Christian. Uh, we want to be liked. And now, now that we're kind of in a post-Christian culture, uh, I, the idol that we bow the knee to is likability, is, is, you know, being being accepted by the rest of culture. Uh, and as a result, we often capitulate on key doctrines and issues like this. Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about doctrine and as we think about the importance of understanding biblical theology, why is it that you should make it a point to be at the 2023 National <laughs> Conference? Absolutely. That was a good toss-up. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> yeah. It's a softball for softball you. Softball for yeah. me, absolutely. Listen, when, when I again, as we're talking about this, this, this subject in particular— uh, doctrine matters. Theology matters. Uh, issues like these matter, and and unfortunately now there are smaller and smaller groups willing to make that strong profession. Uh, so it's imperative that we do gather. 
uh, that we do encourage one another, that we do grow in our understanding of key doctrines, particularly uh, as it relates to the National Conference, the 2023 National Conference, G3 National Conference, uh, on the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Uh, Even as we watch the wind and waves of just absolute chaos take place in culture, and unfortunately at times it, it ebbs and flows into church culture, quote unquote church culture. Um, man, there are those who are standing strong. There are those who are wanting to maintain fidelity to biblical sufficiency. Uh, we want you to gather with us. Yeah. Uh, we want to see you uh, September 21st through the 23rd here in Atlanta at the G3 National Conference. Again, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Uh, you, you don't want to miss this. Yeah, one. absolutely. And then on this very subject, I want to personally invite you to be a part of something very important that we have this October. Uh, so as we think about oh, right. the, the yeah. doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, and as we think about the difference between what it means to be a Protestant, what it means to be a Roman Catholic, we're actually going to be taking a church history tour yes. through the British Reformation history. Right. We're going to be starting in Edinburgh, Scotland, and we're going to go to St. Andrews, and we're going to take a train down to the city of London. We're going to visit all sorts of historic sites. We're going to be there in Bunhill Fields where John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, is buried. We're going to be in that cemetery where Isaac Watts, where John Owen where these figures from church history are buried. But we're also going to be able to take day trips, mm-hmm. and we're going to go out from London to Oxford and to Cambridge, right. these historic cities where really, really important things happened throughout the history of the Reformation. Yeah. We're going to stand in the streets right in the very places in Oxford where there's a marker there in the street that that marks the place where the martyrs were burned by the Roman Catholics because of their unwillingness to embrace the doctrine of transubstantiation. Right. So we're going to tell those stories. We're going to do this in the mm. very places where the reformers, where they lived, where they preached, and where in many cases they were martyred yeah. for their faith. Yeah. There's only a handful of seats left for this tour. And again, it's going to be this coming October. You can find information about that tour on our website Mm -hmm. at g3men.org. You will not want to miss it. I'm going to be speaking on that tour as well as Phil Johnson and my friend Owen Strand as well. It's going to be a fantastic, wonderful time. You do not want to miss it. Yeah, it's going to be great. October 20th through the 27th. Uh, you don't want to miss it, man. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to being there and just listening and learning and growing uh, in my faith. Things I've read about being able to lay my eyes on them. Uh, you know, it, I think it'll be an experience that will absolutely be unforgettable. Yes, it will be. And, and again, it has shaped me each time I've done this tour and to be able to stand there and talk about, you know, like we're going to be at the place where the first martyr under Bloody Mary, John Rogers, who was a student of William Tyndale, who finished up the Old Testament translation work that Tyndale wasn't able to finish before he was burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to Smithfield and we're going to stand at the place where he was burned. And there's an old building just just to the edge of this spot where they believe that uh, that you know Queen Mary I was actually there in the top of that building looking out because she was so interested in seeing the first of these Protestant martyrs burned. Yeah. And so um, just a wonderful opportunity to think about yeah. 
the shoulders upon which we stand yeah. in church history. And, and, and to strengthen your faith. Yes, it does. As a result. I mean, you, you come back recognizing these kinds of stories, reading these kinds of stories, and, and, and you know, much less being in the spaces where these events took place. Uh, you come back to where we are, uh, and you're emboldened. Yeah. Right? You're not, you're not, you don't cower from a, from a Twitter spat. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> that's not persecution. That's not, yeah, that's not yeah. persecution. You're recognizing, hey, I need to, I need to stand for something. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So now back to the conversation, as we think about the Roman Catholic theology, as we think about differences on justification, a different gospel, recently Pope Francis just finished up 10 years, and so he's conducted a, a few interviews to commemorate this anniversary, and he said something very troubling recently. He actually was, was giving an interview, and he denied the existence of hell. Now, this is not the first time that he's done this. Right. He actually did it back in 2018 as well in the in March. Mm-hmm. So it's like every March, it seems, you know, uh, every couple of years in, in March, it seems he's going right. to make some goofy statement about the doctrine of hell. And so he did it again. Wow. And I think it's really important for us to examine his words okay. and then to ask ourselves an honest question, what does this mean and why should we be concerned by it? Now, the Roman Catholic Catechism actually teaches on the doctrine of hell. And it, it teaches that if someone commits a mortal sin, right. again, the difference in the Roman Catholic theology right. is venial sins, venial sins right. versus mortal, mortal sins. sins yeah. Mortal sins condemn you to hell. Venial sins are, are something that you can get past based upon some you know merit that you, you yeah. engage in. Well, you go to purgatory right. and you're cleansed in the what they call a cleansing fire right. Right. that then purifies you and allows you to be, then be presented into the very presence of right. God. Right. Right. And so um, if you die... Uh, having committed a mortal sin, then you're eternally damned. Right. But the language of the catechism uh, speaks about the fact that there is punishment of hell, and it calls it an eternal fire. Right. And so that is the official position of the Roman Catholic Church. But in March of 2018, Pope Francis was talking to a friend, and it was not an official interview, but he was talking to a, an atheist that right. happened to be a friend of the Pope. Right. And he denied the existence of hell in that conversation. And then when it was when it was again published that the Pope said this, the Vatican responded and said, "Well, now that wasn't an official interview, and so it should not be seen as an official position of the Pope, and it wasn't to be seen or embraced as an official position of the Roman Catholic Church." Mm. So that's the way they dodged it. Interesting. That was 2018. Here we are in 2023. And just recently, with this um, this interview, he was asked what his interpretation of hell and paradise happens to be, and he responded, and he said, "Hell is not a place." He says, "If one goes to attend to the last judgment and sees the faces of those who go to hell, one gets scared. If you read Dante, you get scared. But these are media representations," he says. So then they they wanted to clarify in the interview to make sure that they understood what the Pope was actually saying, so they asked additional questions. And so when they said, uh, can you can you explain to us, like, are you actually suggesting that hell is not a literal place? Right. Because they know, obviously, that the official position of the Roman Catholic Church is that there is an eternal fire, right? right? Yep. 
So um, he responded, and then he appealed to a sculpture that's in a Roman Catholic cathedral. Hmm. And this sculpture actually depicts... um, Judas, who is hanging there in the balance, and you have the devil pulling him down, and then you have on the other side the good shepherd, who is Jesus, who grabs Judas and puts him on his shoulders with with this smile, okay? And so the Pope, when asked to clarify his position on the denial of the existence of a literal hell, Mm -hmm. he appeals to this sculpture of, of Judas that's being pulled in two different direction. And then it seems that the sculpture teaches that the good shepherd overcomes the devil. And so then they said, well, can you explain to us what the meaning of that sculpture is? And then the Pope said, literally, he said at that point, he said that, that salvation is stronger than damnation. Wow. So but, we're talking about sola sculptura. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you can you believe this? And so you have the Pope who is doubling down on his position that's in direct contradiction of not only the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, but most importantly, Holy Scripture. Right. Right. And so this is problematic on so many different levels. Wow. Obviously, I know the a lot of Roman Catholics and the Vatican, they've scrambled for the last decade trying to do, cover. you know, cleanup work yeah. and cover yeah. work because yeah. of the dumb statements that the Pope has made. Right. But why should we be concerned by this? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible actually teaches that there is a literal heaven and that there's a literal hell. Yes. The Bible teaches about eternal blessing. And the Bible teaches about eternal damnation. That's a, that's a and right. so we need to believe both. Absolutely. We need to believe what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus said more about hell and warned about the eternal wrath of God than did any other figure in the whole of Scripture. Right, right. Okay? Yeah. He talked about it being an eternal fire, eternal flames, eternal damnation. He talked about that with great specificity. Right. So why is it that we should be concerned when we hear a pope talking about that and then our you know very squishy sort of watered-down culture that just wants to conflate and throw into one barrel both Christians and Roman Catholics saying that they're just brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I, I agree with everything you just said. I'll take it a step further. You've got, you got preaching now, even in Protestant circles, that really is defending Efficient on the doctrine of hell. Yeah, uh, Joel Osteen. He doesn't preach about sin. Why? Because he he don't want people to be offended right. by the doctrine of sin. And so we've got preachers, uh, even even in quote unquote Protestant circles, who who you know basically are, are you know are de- are deniers in a sense of 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 hell because they don't talk about it. Yeah, uh, you don't hear preaching about it. I mean, it was you know it, it wasn't until really I I came to Praise Mill. That, that I would hear about hell and damnation and and, and avoiding hell uh, in in sermons on the Lord's Day, and so that that's that those kinds of things are are important uh, to to talk about. I, I was and I've shared with you and, and and even on this podcast others in the past. I was a part of a church where, uh, I, you know, the pastor there, Doctor Carl, well, he wasn't a doctor. It was Bishop Bishop Carlton Pearson, uh, had had the same kind of trajectory. Um, it, he started out with with just the idea that everyone was saved, whether they named Christ or not. Uh, well, the question when you when you lay that out is saved from what. Uh, saved from 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 you know from yourself. What are you saved from? Uh, and he would never say from hell. And 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 eventually he got to the point where he denied the doctrine of hell. Wow. 
And, and so I'm, I'm at that church watching this go on. And again, the church would diminish to, to near nothing. And then he uh, would eventually you know, be, be, uh, be deemed a heretic uh, altogether and kind of thrown out. But I, I say that to say that's why these issues are important. Because you know you you can go from a from well, well that's that's the Pope and that's him but but recognize that even in our own circles we run the risk if we're not careful and if we're not thoughtful about this particular doctrine of of landing in the same space that's right because we ignore key doctrines like this mm, yeah that that's exactly right and again we should be warned right because Jesus Jesus warned when he preached he warned in the Sermon on the Mount he was thundering. You know, he's preaching to the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. He's preaching to the curious ones. He's preaching to the skeptics, to the crowds that had swelled. You know, they've been coming from the various different towns and villages. Mm -hmm. And he warns that you actually must examine yourself. He he warns that there is a broad gate, a broad road, a wide gate, a narrow road, um, a a hard path, if you will, um, that leads to life. And so Jesus spoke like that in his preaching. He was very clear about the fact that that not everyone who claimed Lord, Lord right. was going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so he gave stern warnings. And in Matthew 10, 28, this is another warning. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we need to be very mindful of the fact that as Jesus had a, a clear doctrine of hell and holy justice, and as the Bible teaches that, we need to you know, basically form our theology and our positions on hell in accordance with Jesus's position in his right, preaching on right, hell. Right. Not what the Pope says, not what the Roman Catholic Church says. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus believe about hell? Right. And we need to believe that. So I, I, I go back to what you said about examining yourself. And, and, and again, so many churches uh, are, avoid opportunities to uh, take the time in, in, during the, the, the service on the Lord's Day to, to repent of sin. I mean, even 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 the thought of taking time to reflect upon sin and to repent of sin, both privately and corporately, is an opportunity to understand that your sin has a penalty to it. Right. Whether if you're in Christ, that that's a separation from God from a standpoint of sanctification and in, in, in your walk with Him, uh, getting that right, making that correct. Or if you're if you if you don't have Christ, if you aren't born again, that that. That that sin separates you eternally from God Himself, right? Absolutely, uh, and that we that that there that there needs to be an opportunity to make that right, and all of that is what's in view there is the fact that there is a punishment, there is a penalty, there is a place called hell where you will go if you are if you die in your sin and are indeed separated from from God Himself, right? Yeah. Right. So all that to say, in this conversation, as we think about the the different gospel that the Roman Catholic Church has, then the gospel of Jesus, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the, the, the deficient positions and teachings of the Pope mm-hmm. that are in direct contradiction to the Roman Catholic uh, Church's theology. Right. We need to see this as problematic, and we also need to uh, continue to stand firm in our own present day and to hold to the true teachings of Scripture and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, man. This is an important, important conversation to have. Uh, glad that we got a chance to cover this ground. I'm sure, given the nature of, of the Pope's, uh, you know, 
things that he says, the messages that he puts out that we'll be revisiting these issues. But but again, these these kinds of things are important. I know people don't like these these lines of distinction, but the clarity is what's important in the life of the believer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just one final statement that I would encourage is, you know, oftentimes we we receive emails and people might come up to us at a conference or they might, you know, make a statement uh, and ask a question about, you know, a, a specific situation in their family yeah, or a yeah. friend that they might have That's good. that is a Roman Catholic and what type of advice should they, should they give them? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a question that's similar to, well, you know, uh, I'm a Roman Catholic, but I'm really a Christian. And should I stay in, in order to influence my friends and then maybe, you know, leave at some other point. Right. And, and, and my position is always the same. If you understand the gospel and you understand what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, you should not stay in that system in hopes that you're going to win friends and influence family members and what have you. You should immediately separate from a false church and join a true church that embraces the true gospel. Absolutely. And here's why. Because every single Mass that you sit and take part in is an actual uh, blasphemous work that is blaspheming Jesus Christ and the true gospel. It is a fresh new sacrifice. Transubstantiation, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, is blasphemous because it's stating that upon the blessing of the priest on the table, the bread and the cup turn into the actual it body yes. and the actual blood of Jesus Christ, right. which is a fresh sacrifice, which is in direct contradiction to what Jesus said when he died. And he said, it is finished to tell us die. It is done. In other words, there's not anything, any additional sacrifice, additional work that's necessary. Furthermore, it's a direct contradiction of what the entire book of Hebrews teaches. And so if this is a blasphemous doctrine that blasphemes Jesus, every single mass, you can't possibly partake in that as a Christian. So I would encourage you to leave And I would encourage you to still reach your friends and to do this uh, in a spirit of love and charity, but faithful evangelism, teaching them the true gospel of King Jesus. Absolutely, man. That's a good word. I've done the same thing, not not on the doctrine of justification. I think that's an immediate, you know, run, go, get out, leave. Uh, but but on, on on smaller issues, issues around uh, uh, the prosperity gospel. Yeah, I've I've left that, and 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 I, I do my best to share the true message of a clear gospel uh, to those who are a part of. So I think that's a, that's an absolutely good good word. Uh, with that, we're excited that you had the opportunity to join us. We're going to ask you to to like, share, subscribe uh, to the podcast, share it with a friend, let others know about G three Ministries uh, and 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 our desire to to equip, encourage, and educate local churches for the glory of God. Listen, if you want to partner with us, we encourage you to do so. You can do that in two ways. One is through prayer. We absolutely uh, uh, need, request, uh, and and would be blessed by you praying for us and for the ministry here. Uh, as well, financially speaking, if you would love to be a part of, of giving to G3 Ministries, you can go to g3men.org forward slash give and then uh, submit your donation in that space. Uh, thanks again for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast.